Hello, everybody. In today's episode of the Penny Lane Podcast, Blaine and Kate are joined by Elon Hall. They discuss behind the scenes of Top Chef, his journey starting restaurants, and the process of creating Elon's show, Knife Fight. A big thank you to our sponsors, Trend Spider, Personify App, and Last Bottle Wines. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. Elon, hi. Welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast. Hello. So these glad to be these here. These are my favorite episodes but when I just DM people that I really like um, and ask them to come on the podcast. So we're absolutely thrilled to have you. I've already complimented your eyewear, continuing to be a big fan Thank of you. it. <laughs> Thank you. So if you were going to give someone, let's say, an elevator pitch of who you are, <laughs> could you hit us with that uh, sure um i'm a chef that has been cooking for over two decades worked in lots of restaurants around the country and a couple around the world uh won a couple of contests um and produced some television Perfect. This is also a couple of contests. So casual. Fascinating to us. I mean, Kate is a food influencer. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I don't, don't have the professional chops, just like to eat food and like to cook it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, some of the, some of the most, like the best inspiration is coming from people like that on, on social media. I mean, like I'll, I follow so many accounts. Nobody's a professional chef, but people are doing weird and interesting stuff. And like the, the connection that you have to what they're doing at home is pretty amazing. Do you have any favorite accounts off the top of your brain? Yeah. Most of them are, were professional <laughs> chefs at some point. But <laughs> no, now out. that I think about it, um, no, like a cook name, a cook name, Matt is great. Um, oh, top of my head. Shoot, of course. That's I say something makes you and go I have nothing to back it up with. Sure. Um, I don't know. Salt Hank is great. Uh, I don't think he's a professional. I, I actually don't know a lot about about a lot of these people. So maybe they are all professional chefs. But I just like I just like flicking through reels on Instagram and and you know it aggregates a lot of cooking stuff. So it's, it's addicting. Cool. For oh, sure. what's that 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 other kid? That guy? Kid, I say kid, but he's an adult. Um, uh, lives in new york kind of cool hipstery looking i don't know there's lots of great stuff that cool I history sort of, looking in I new york upon. is is a wide pool <laughs> he didn't he just moved back to new york from somewhere else he makes lots of dips What's i'm always Ooh. in for a dip love a good dip kate loves a dip kate also I'll, loves a i'll, a I'll figure i'll figure it out before before we're done yeah cheese yes. dips on any apps yeah in. Kate, in. kate can yeah. throw together a cheese plate the likes of which, I mean, I've never seen professionally done. It's so much. So Anytime many, so Blaine comes to visit, it's a requirement. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I know I have to Wait, go get Kate, the cheeses. Kate, where do you live? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina. So North grew Carolina, up in Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. Um, I don't know if Blaine explained okay. this. We're sisters. Um, but yeah. I live in Charlotte. You're, okay. Kate, you're also coming cool. to us live from the new house. It looks beautiful. Beautiful. This isn't my most picture-perfect corner, but uh, wanted to keep it tame. Yeah. Uh, There's lots of boxes around still. <laughs> so I usually do the this podcast with Kate's husband. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but 
first of all, he's left me. Uh, There was a gaping hole in the podcast. Thank you, Justin. And second of all, uh, I bring Kate on. ripped in the family. I bring Kate on for anyone I feel like she'd really like to meet. So here we are. Yeah. The second she said this, I was like, I'm I'm in. I am there. (laughs) So. Well, thank you. It's great. It's great to meet you. (laughs) So I'm a huge uh, and OG Top Chef fan. So that's how, you know, I got to know you. Uh, Watched your season. Loved it. Rewatched it when I was pregnant with my daughter, who is six years old now. And very funny story. But as I was watching it, you were by far my favorite that whole season. And I really like your name, which is funny since I just asked you how to pronounce it. But I I spent about a week trying to decide if I... So my name's Blaine, which is a male name. And I also wanted to name my daughter a male name. So I was like wondering if I could name my daughter Elon and spent it. it, Wow. I mean, not like after you, but I was like, that's a cool name. So spent like (laughs) a good while sort of going back and forth. And what I like about it is that it looks like it's L-L-A-N. Yeah. Lots of people think it is. Yeah. It's just fascinating to me (laughs) and then you're like no it's an ah like it's it's so tricky and fun i'm just i really really like it you said you were gonna name your daughter that i've been called i've been called like like... (laughs) no when people when people say it out they've they've said that that it's they people think that it's two l's i've been called yawn lots of times because it's like the spanish pronunciation of double l I don't like that one I think I looked up, I'm not psychotic. I just was, I, I mean, I, when you name a child, you throw you around names. Yeah. Of course. But I looked it up and the meaning I feel like is something fairly masculine. Do you know the meaning of your name? It means, yeah, in Hebrew, it means young tree. Oh, like yeah. A sapling. I liked that. I liked that. Never mind. It's, it not, wasn't it's not masculine or feminine. It's kind of like, you know. Yeah. It's just. It just is. Yeah. It's still a great name. I ended up naming her Quinn. Thanks. Which I think is sort of in the same That's vein. That's also, also a great name. Yeah. So, Quinn. But, great name. So, great. Um, I think I would... My main thing that I admire about you is your creativity. It's just phenomenal and we talk about that so much on the podcast i'm a painter kate cooks and creates content and writes and is exceptionally creative and a big vein i guess through the podcast is just being creative in all that you do and speaking with your own voice we've been really really talking about that a lot with trading I like trading because it is a way to navigate a world of endless possibilities and find your own way through it, which I equate to my paintings. Like there's a literally a blank canvas and you can do anything to it and having to sort of put things together in a way that works, I feel like is the most like magical thing a person can do and you are a master at it and I I saw it so much during Top Chef like 
Thank you. It was just beautiful the way that you you created. And then also with Knife Fight, like what a beautiful, not only the show was aesthetically beautiful and the concept was amazing and you drew from your own experience and you brought on people you admired, but the creative challenge that you presented people was just astonishing. I re- astonishing. I really loved that show. I love watching people have to create in real time. So, thank you. I loved. I loved making it. I mean, that was one of the things about. Thank you so much. That yeah. was way too kind. <laughs> that, that that whole that whole thing. I really appreciate it. But um, no, with Night Fight, I mean, that was kind of what was so amazing to me about it, and not just forcing people to work with these crazy time constraints, but the fact that there was nothing on the table except their pride. And, and, you know, it was unbelievable to me how amazing, how amazing the food was with, I mean, really when, when I'm, you know, you see top chef and there's hours to plan when you get presented with a challenge, just because of cameras have to set and, you know, there's just, just of all the process, but from the beginning with doing this, we were like, it has to be as real time as humanly possible. You know, it really like once, once people are going and you see them running to cook, they're cooking and like, that's it. So, you know, sometimes people have three, four minutes to think of something, but that's different than when you're going to a location with, you know, Padma introduces the thing and then you get to go shopping before. And then, you know, there's a whole process to it. Not to say there's anything wrong with that. I mean, Top Chef is great. It's a great show. It's great. It's done wonder wonderful things for me and for a lot of friends and a lot of people that I know um but I just you know my restaurant was like kind of dingy and weird and cool and lots of broken equipment and that was kind of you know we wanted to sort of be as true to it as possible it was explain to me more about like dingy and weird and like can you tell us some more about your restaurant that sounds so interesting okay yeah, so so the first the first restaurant I opened called the Gorbels. It was inside of the Alexandria Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, which at one point was this grand hotel, sort of a la the Plaza in New York, and then kind of fell in hard times, and um, you know, sort of became a low income housing building, but still had all this, you know, had these incredible people that lived there. So it you know gave gave character to this to this old building so it's like the juxtaposition of what downtown los angeles was and what it is now and and there are all these sort of you know and and it was inside of the building so you had to sort of find it which was probably terrible for business for us especially in the beginning um but it was there was something about it that was just like you know kind of spoke to me and and it was, you know, I could afford it at the time. I mean, I couldn't really afford anything, but, you know, yeah. opening a restaurant with $60,000 is like pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, even, you know, 15 years ago, 12, 14 years ago when I did it. Uh, and, and it just kind of like, you know, doing the competitions with Knife Fight, it was just sort of hanging around with chefs at the restaurant because a lot of chefs used to come in and we would hang out and we would talk shit and we would just sort of challenge each other to things. And like, it kind of, it kind of, snowballed into into something else and came to a point where a friend of mine reached out to me and was like hey we're trying to pitch tv shows i'm like well we kind of do this thing what do you think and we shot like a really sort of rough and ready reel and 
brought it to some networks and then it got picked up. And it was... So it was kind of like a weird... It doesn't really happen like that, I don't think. It was on Esquire. Yeah. So when we pitched it, it was uh, it was called G4 at the time. It was a network called G4 that was about sort of like um, uh, video games and stuff. And they were doing it in the middle of a rebrand. And so we kind of like caught the wave. We were the first original show on the network. Would you do That's it so again? Awesome, though, that you didn't have to. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Who, who, who's first? Would I do it again? Yeah. Of course I would do it again. I would love to do it again. I mean, we only stopped making the show because the network went away. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason that I don't, you know, whatever. I mean, I would love to do it. It's just, it's hard. We did four full seasons of it. So we have like something, something like 70... 78 episodes, 75 episodes, something like a lot. It's actually a lot. I didn't realize it, but because the first season was 18, second was 24, then we did 15 and 15. So it's a lot of content. Um, you know, I just, I don't think it got the biggest audience it could have, um, you know, on something like a, a Netflix or a Hulu or a something else. But I'd love to do it again. I mean, I'd love to do something in the same vein. I'd love to, because... You know, the chefs that I had on it, it's funny because I think there was one year where we had like people that like four people that were either four or five people that were either nominated or won a James Beard Award that that year. Nothing to do with us. It just happened to be the caliber of people that we would get because people loved it because it was it was actually fun. It was it was tense in that, those moments, but it wasn't it was a pleasure for them because it was chefs cooking for chefs you know, just sort of hanging out and talking shit. That's what I was going to say was so great about the fact that it's like, you were already doing it. Like you didn't have to over-engineer something for TV. Like it just, it was so natural what you're already doing, which is so rare. Yeah. It was kind of, it was kind of weird because we always like molded everything after, like there was a certain point when we were shooting the first episode where they were telling, they were telling one of the chefs, the, the, people the producers were telling people and i have a great relationship with everybody on the show but they were telling the chefs to slow down or to do this and i was like no 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 no! it's got to come out now it's got to come out hot and that was one of the things where we had to get it hot like that was an absolute because you know having experience doing stuff you make a dish and it could be two hours before someone eats it and then the original intention of it even if it's something that's can stay warm for a while or whatever. It's, you know, it's completely lost. That's why it's funny on Top Chef. And I I think that they do a lot more to make it aesthetically pleasing now. But on Top Chef, we would always give, when we do a challenge, we would always give the worst, because we always had to make a plate for camera. Mm -hmm. We'd always give the worst one for camera because that's what, because we weren't being judged on that one. So if you look at, I've, I've watched my season and some of the plates that go to the camera people look disgusting. <laughs> like things have fallen, sauces all dried up on the side of the plate because they didn't really like, you know, it was a newer show. They didn't have people that were in charge of making it look beautiful and, and whatever. And so it was kind of like, and on night fight, we were, we would do a beauty plate also for the camera, but it would be like that out, this out, like, like it was just go. And then they would shoot it really quick. They had a little thing in the corner where they would take it and shoot it. And then, you know. Like it's like, this is it. real life and this is how it would work. And the camera crew just happens yeah. to be here. Like we're not accommodating you. you totally. To be a no, totally. That, it was a huge, it was a huge, like, 
it was an absolute like necessity for me. Top Chef still struggles with that. Like the the beauty plate sometimes things that fall it like does not look great and then you see yeah. the plate on the table which looks gorgeous. Anyway, yeah. I I have noticed that. I also <laughs> am so glad you it's always. brought it up cuz I wanted to ask you what is the time that elapses between like on a quick fire? Do you literally all finish at the same time? And then you, if you're the last person to serve, your food's been waiting that whole time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I was on it, I don't know if they've changed. I mean, what are they on, season 19 now? Yeah. Season something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when we did it, absolutely. We'd have to finish our dish and then just wait. And it sometimes would take a really long time. But, I mean, the quick fire is they would eat it much more quickly than on a regular challenge, unless it was something like like restaurant wars or there there were certain challenges where we would be serving directly to people. Um, or if it was like, an, like a, I remember in one of the early episodes, we did a, like a, we had two teams and we split up and we were doing like a like a food event. And so people were just coming and eating. We were serving people over the course of like two hours or something. So like that was, you're getting fresh food, but, but yeah, most challenges, it was, it would wait for such a long time. And I felt bad for Gail, Tom and Padma. Ah. It's gotta be brutal on both sides. Gail, Gail. So hard for them. My husband like is, (laughs) has such a big crush on Gail. He's like, put a smoke show constantly. With, With good reason. Yeah. Yeah, he likes her so much. She's amazing. Yeah. Okay, but also, Blaine, yeah. on the flip side, um, let's talk about Tom. Oh, God. I loved him so much. <laughs> so good looking. <laughs> so, Not yeah. like Jimmy is the only one that has a crush on that show. No, of course no. I'm like watching Last Chance Kitchen just for extra Tom. Tom Tom. <laughs> uh, he just has aged so well with the show. He's just, I can't, I I could stop now. <laughs> it's a real gem. He really is. Yeah, I'm glad that Gail has stuck around. And, you know, Padma has really grown into her role. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's a... I mean, our, our season, our season, she was, she was, it was her first season also. So it was kind of like, I don't think, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. She didn't know. I mean, she knew what she was there for, but it was, it was, I think it, you know, for everybody, it sort of takes time to figure things out. Even Tom. I mean, Tom, I worked for Kraft before I went on Top Chef and um, I got fired from Kraft. Mm. But, uh, but Tom, you know, if you would have said to me who, who would be sort of leading a cooking competition show, Tom, or anything on television, Tom wouldn't be the person. And not because he was had a hard time talking, but he was just very sort of, you know, reserved to himself. He wasn't a really outgoing person. And it's just the nature of who he was. So it's kind of a weird, it always, it felt kind of weird that he was going to be like the head guy in the show. Um, Turn it off for the cameras. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think I no, I think the cameras just liked who he was ultimately that sort of his, you know, his, He's stern. People take him seriously. You know, he's he's respected and he he's no bullshit. And I think that, you know, I think that that kind of, I don't know, it, it that worked well for him. That worked in his favor and that worked well, well for the show because it gave it this like sort of backbone of credibility and 
you know, I mean, he, as a chef, he's one of those people that you, you know, have huge respect for because he got, you know, three New York Times stars by the time he was 23. It was like he was, he was very established and, and a force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, he's great. Irrational exuberance? When it comes to killer wine at drastically low prices, 30 to 70% off retail and free shipping, we live for that here at Last Bottle Wines. Whether you went long or short on GameStop, you'll need a glass of something terrifically tasty, and we've got the goods. Last Bottle is a daily wine site based in Napa, California. One wine every day at Black Swan event prices, usually 30 to 70% off until poof, it's gone. Whether you're a pound-the-table type, think ultra-crisp, quaffable Sauvignon Blanc, or a dividend aristocrat, Burgundy, or Napa Cab, there simply is no better place to buy wine on the web, and they always have free shipping. Last Bottle has a deal just for Penny Lane listeners. Use promo code PENNY10 to save 10% on your next order with Last Bottle. The code is good for one order and one order only. They opened a craft here in Atlanta for a very short amount of time, and I love Tom. So we went, and I had an experience that I've, like, never had before in any kind of, not even like a McDonald's or whatever. I ordered, um, I think they were new potatoes. They were some kind of small potato. And I bit into them, and it was like they had been covered in super glue, like the skin like glued itself to my front teeth. I couldn't get the skin off. And I was like, and you think, I'm like, I'm in craft. Like, I, this is a my problem. So you <laughs> kept trying to eat them and I kept, but I couldn't get the skin off. And then finally I told the waitress and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And the restaurant closed like very soon after that. It's all because of those potatoes. Did Tom come out and apologize to you personally? Unfortunately, he wasn't there that night, so. So you might have actually engineered the situation to get him to come out of the kitchen. But you know what? Didn't tarnish his reputation in my mind or heart at all. I'm like, that was that, that chef's problem. Like, not Tom. Tom Couldn't didn't make Tom. those potatoes. <laughs> so I did a quick um, Wikipedia on you. So. I wanted to go back and rewatch your your whole season just to be like extra prepared. But my kids both came mm-hmm. down with COVID on Sunday, so unfortunately, I have I'm not. Sorry. Oh, they're fine. Um, but I was not able. I know mine just got over it. He's fine too. Yeah, wasn't able to devote all the hours to watch your season. But on Wikipedia, I they did reference a head shaving incident. That I really have no recollection yeah. of. Do you mind walking us through that? Oh, wow. Sure. Okay. Um, you don't remember that? How do you not remember that? I don't know. Tell me. That was like and the big... Maybe it'll jog my memory. It so, said it was like the biggest scandal in Top Chef history. So clearly... It was. Um, so what happened was we... It was our last challenge. We finished it and... The DP of the show said, hey, if you guys are getting up to some antics, take this camera and just make sure you shoot it. And so I'm like, cool. They gave us like some fancy, you know, camera, um, showed me how to use it. And then, you know, we sort of started drinking and thought it would be a funny idea to shave 
to shave Marcel's head, to shave Elia's head, to shave my, I, and I, my whole thing was like, if Elia shaves her head, I'm going to shave my head because she had like this giant, like beautiful locks of hair. Um, and so, you know, like with lots of situations when alcohol is involved and you sort of are not thinking and you're very young and, you know, your brain isn't fully developed, you, you do dumb things. And I think it was, the whole idea was meant to be like, almost like a silly jackass prank and it, and it got out of hand. And so uh, I shaved my head, Elia shaved her head. And then, you know, Marcel, Marcel was, uh, you know, sort of the, the victim of something. And it was, you know, none of it was meant to be like this mean, evil thing. It was, we were just being ridiculous, but you know, when you don't think and your inhibitions are lowered, you do dumb things sometimes, but regrettable on my part for sure. So sorry I brought that up. <laughs> no, it's fine. Blaine, Blaine did not know what no, you were asking about. Listen, <laughs> no, 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 we had no. Listen, listen. It was. I, I'm glad. I'm glad Marcel and I are in a really good place now. You know, I've, I've, I really, you know, I think he's done incredible things. He's a brand new dad. He just got married in the past couple of years. Like he's, he's doing some really, really amazing stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, you're in this crazy situation and that's so unnatural and you're a kid, you know, I'm used to being a line cook and just like working. And then all of a sudden you don't have your phone. You don't have your, your freedom, not in a negative way, but you, you're sort of taken care of at every moment and you kind of lose your head a bit and you sort of lose perspective on what, you know, reality is temporarily. Cause we're for six weeks, we're, you know, we're walked to a place to, to cook, which we know how to do. And then you're, we're, we're sort of the only people that we can sort of talk to is each other. And so when there's tension and when there's a competition involved, you know, it kind of exacerbates all of that. So, how old were you on your season of Top Chef? Twenty. It was twenty four when it was over. Twenty three or twenty four, something like that. Gosh, it's so young. Surprised you didn't shave everyone's yeah, head. Yeah, very young. Twenty three. Everybody's Yeah, I mean, I was. Yeah. Yeah, it was very. It was very. Uh, it, listen, but I also had a ton of fun. Like it was a great. It was a great time. Um, you know, for the most part, I made some really, really good friends that I'm still very close with. I'm really close with Elia. She helped me open up my restaurant. Um, I'm really close with, you know, I still talk to Betty. I still talk to Mike Midgley. Like a lot of people that were on the show, I'm still close with. I still see Josie, who was on the show. Um, she lives in Miami. So I, I kind of uh, still talk to Sam, Sam Talbot, um, who's in California now. Uh, and he's about to open a place too in LA. So, you know, it's a good, it's a good group of people and sort of like a weird fraternity whenever I talk to other people that were on the show, um, you know, because we all have this weird common bond and I've become really close with a lot of people that were on other seasons like Dale Talday. Yeah, Dale. Uh, Love Dale. Dale's amazing. He's a, a really good friend. I've traveled with Dale. Um, CJ Jacobson, uh, who, uh, you know, from season three, who's six foot six foot eight and three quarters um but he's he actually i was just at his bachelor party in montana and he's getting married in september so it's like he's super successful he's opened up tons of restaurants uh in the chicago and austin and um with this giant restaurant group so he's so there's so many success stories out of it mm -hmm. i mean there's 
you know, I don't know, what, 100 and, 175 chefs that have come through the show already? Something like that? More? more? Do you know Richard Probably Blaze? Probably more, 200. I know Richard Blaze pretty well. Yeah. You're somehow you guy you two remind me of each other. I hope that's okay to say. <laughs> sure. No, I'm fr- I'm friends with Richard. He's he's great. No, no, Richard Richard's great. I've been on his podcast a couple of times. Oh. Um but Richard Richard's great, super talented. You know, he's incredibly successful right now. He's doing television shows on Fox. Sure. Um so he's he's doing great. I'd like to see him when he's free. He's he's never uh He's never free to see me, but I really liked that. <laughs> Got a busy schedule. I really liked that Richard didn't win and then like went sort of nuts on self bettering himself or whatever and then came back and won. I like that. I like that in a person to be like, I, I'm going to yeah. take this more yeah. seriously. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's a, he's a pretty amazing person. He's, he's really talented. Um, I'm glad that he sort of found his culinary niche because I think it's hard to like, it's hard to create an identity for yourself, especially when so many of us have, you know, people always say, what's your specialty? What's your specialty? But a lot of people have worked in so many different places. You know how to cook a lot of things. So really finding your voice, you know, as a, as a chef is hard. You know, when I opened the Gorbals, the idea was like, a mix between my mom and my father's roots. My mom was born in Israel and my dad's from Scotland, which doesn't really make sense until you realize that you can sort of apply any rules and make, as long as you know how to make delicious food, you can sort of fit it into any, any category. Doesn't make sense, but but you made it make sense. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what I think, you know, like I think about the way I cook right now at home or if I'm cooking for events, like what are the ingredients that I use most? Most of them come from an Asian pantry, but most of my food doesn't taste that way. So it's like using miso in Italian tomato sauce makes sense. Not that it's, I'm the first person to do it, but I'm saying like there's, you you use all the tools in your in your tool chest to try and do the best work and the most delicious things that you can. Do you, you know? ever get- and I think that that's- yeah. Do you ever get burnout when you're cooking at all? Like, do you ever find yourself making the same things and feel like you need to shake it up or like, how do you, how do you keep it fresh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it was actually in a weird way. It was kind of COVID was helpful and, and difficult also because I used to get inspiration by traveling. I would travel with, you know, with friends, with family a couple times a year, you know, to Europe, to somewhere else in the country to, I would, you know, try and try and sort of change it up to get inspiration. And then COVID happened and it was just like, everything was internal. And so I started, I started making these, like I had no intention of doing cooking videos on, on Instagram, but I started doing these cooking videos and they were just sort of out of like a fuck it attitude. Like, you know, I think even in my first one that I did, it was just like, I, I said, there was something I said where I was like, I was like, throw this with this, who the fuck cares? You know, it was kind of like this, we're all stuck inside. We all don't know what's happening. It's casual. It was just like a way to, I mean, but even more than that, it was like, let's try this. Let's just be super weird. And so, you know, that's sort of, that's where I I enjoy things. I mean, when I cook at home, I cook relatively traditionally, but uh, you know, when I'm trying stuff out, like I did, I did a really cool dinner um, for the seed food wine festival last year in Miami, which is a vegan plant-based food and wine festival. And, um, 
two friends of mine from New York came out with me and we did this like five course plant-based meal. Um, and it was two Michelin star chefs that are not, not vegan. I'm not, I, I cook vegan a lot, but I'm not, I'm not. And we sort of did this really cool, weird menu. And so like things like that, where you have these like restrictions kind of, you know, make you be more creative, sort of force you to be creative in different ways so that you can sort of apply, apply that in, in slightly different ways. So I really was so fascinated by what you just said about finding your voice. Um, I've also, Mm -hmm. everyone who listens to the podcast has heard me say it a ton of times, but um, there it, and I talked about it in the beginning of the episode as well, about just, you have to be able to know how to do all the things and break all, or know all the rules before you can like know exactly how to break them and which ways to break them and things. And I'm wondering like how much of the show sort of forced you into a situation where you found a perspective or did you already, you ha- did you already have that going in? You mean Top Chef? Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, being a cook anyway, and being working in restaurants, you have to sort of live in that world anyway, because you've got, you've got a boss that's in charge of, you know, that's created the recipes and created the concept of a place and you're not really supposed to go outside of their rules, but you can sort of work within their guidelines to make things taste a little bit better every single time. So, you know, you have this sort of competitive thing. Um, But in Top Chef, it was kind of the same thing where, you know, you're, you're in these boxes and really the only thing, because you weren't, we weren't allowed to have recipe books or anything like that. So we just came with what we knew. So my approach to it was sort of, what do I know that is the most delicious? And there were a couple of recipes from from places that I've worked, from people that I've worked with, where I was like, I'm going to bring these out at certain points and I'm going to save them strategically so that even if I don't win this, it's got to be so delicious that I can't get kicked off for it. So there were like, you know, five things like that, where even if it didn't really work exactly, it was still, you know, would knock knock their socks off so that it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And so there were, you know, you know, there were some that I changed a little bit, but there were some that, you know, and I got in a lot of trouble actually for that, you know, not in real trouble, but in, you know, people would judge me because they're like, you're using stuff that you've learned. I'm like, there's no way that people are coming into this with like brand new recipes, brand new combinations of, of flavor on the spot. I mean, sometimes people did that. Sometimes I've done that, but for the most part, you need to have like killers in your arsenal that just at a certain, like there was a, the one right before the finale, when we went to Hawaii, there was a, a dish that we were doing at the restaurant I was working at. And I knew, I didn't know if I would win it, but I knew that I couldn't get kicked off, that it would m- get me in the finale if I did this because it was so delicious. I ended up, it's funny because I ended up winning that challenge, but because of the head shaving thing, they didn't say that there was a winner for that episode, even though in judges table, they told me, I'm not supposed to say this, <laughs> but they told me that I, that I won. Giving us um, all the secrets. So it was kind of like <laughs> secret. I mean, that, that's all. I yeah. um, no, but so, but so, but so there, but there were like, but there were certain things like there was a corn dish that my friend Liz came up with, who was the sous chef at Casamano that when we applied it to the, uh, when I applied it to the, uh, the, uh, what was it? 
TGI Fridays challenge. It was like episode three or something um, where you get additional TGI Fridays. The challenge was explained to us before, before sort of, you know, Padma had the whole breakdown for us. And so we had to go shopping. And so I made a dish that was just grilled corn with smoked butter. It was very, very good, but like, it wasn't a main dish, but we, we didn't, it didn't really have to be, but I knew that even if I didn't, it was so delicious that I couldn't get kicked off. So like, that was kind of like my, at a certain point, I sort of realized I'm like, okay, this is my game. Like, and so it was, it was more strategy than talent. You know, I think having good taste is one thing, but, you know, really sort of, um, you know, I definitely wasn't the best cook on that. Did you you feel like there was a point, like if you were going in a top chef with this like awesome strategy of even if I'm not going to win, I'm going to make what's most delicious. And like, I I can't get kicked off for it. Did you feel like there was a point at any point after the show that you really felt like you found your voice or your angle? Yeah, I think it was after season, after episode five, which I won episode five. And it was a a leftover challenge where we were in a a restaurant that Michelle Bernstein was operating for a while. Um, And we had to take leftovers from the restaurant and repurpose it into a, a new dish that would sort of be delicious. Now, they weren't super thrilled about everybody. There were other things that they wish we would have used, but I took leftover risotto and like turned it into this paella thing with soft shell crab. And, and that was like sort of the type of food that I loved eating at that moment, like crispy, crunchy rice with creamy interior and like seafood and saffron. And so it was like, once I made that and they were like over the moon about it, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. It gave, it gave me sort of a bit of confidence. But then also I did another stupid thing throughout the whole competition where I would, I don't know, is cursing okay? Is, do you, would you prefer me not cursing? You like I it, not you like it. Um, <laughs> no, but I would, I would, I would like, I would, I would fuck off for, for quickfire challenges. Like I never took them seriously. It was always like a place for me to like be silly or make a joke. Um, not, not that I didn't take cooking seriously, but like it was such to me, it was such a ridiculous. The quick fires were so ridiculous right. that it was like I might as well just like throw something at the wall and see what happens. And 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 it's funny because in that same episode that I won for this one sort of clam and noodles dish, um, I also was the worst in the quick fire because it was like I I did it was like a chicken liver. Uh, covered in chocolate it was a chocolate challenge and like i was just like what the hell let me see and eric eric repair was like was like you know this is this he had a really funny line when he was describing it he's like he didn't understand it and even like and he's like this is uh for instance something i would never serve in a restaurant (laughs) (laughs) like it was like the very polite way of saying this is terrible (laughs) he's like hey this sucks (laughs) yeah um but so that was, so like that, so that was kind of, my strategy was take the, take them seriously. And like some, I did well, some, some I really didn't do well, but I was lucky enough to stick through and then finish. Probably kept you a little bit more sane though. If you uh, treated the quick fires as like a playground or a creative outlet, got to have some fun and then take it seriously. Yeah. It was, it was like, there was no, it, it's so weird because I feel like knife fight became Knife fight is almost like a quick fire challenge. Like the whole, the whole idea of it, that the thing that I did the worst on, on top chef is the thing that I turned into a, a TV show, which is kind of silly. 
but it's ironic. I don't know. It's very ironic. Sometimes they do think, or actually, uh, uh, season nineteen, which I'm watching with my son, which is fascinating actually to like watch it with him because he's he's like a very mm-hmm. magical, creative little boy. Um, but he, but his take on it is just so fascinating. But one of the quick fire challenge was make a biscuit. And usually, like, as I'm sure anyone on the show does, you hear the challenge, and I'm like, oh, I mean, I cook a lot. I'm like, oh, well, I would do this, this, and this, and then make a biscuit. And I'm like, what if, what if you, like, can't? Like, what if you're, like, don't know? Like, biscuits, you have How to do have, I do that? like, the butter has to be so cold, and you have, and I'm like, does, yeah. ev- does everyone know? And then I, like, turned to Oliver, and I was like, Oliver, I got to teach you how to make a biscuit in case you're ever on the show. Like, other, you can make like, whatever you want. Life but like, yeah, like, now we got to learn how to make a biscuit. But I do. I like how that's, that's how you're raising him, just in <laughs> case he's on top show. He really wants to be Those on. Those are his only guardrails. Yeah, he really wants to be on Kids Baking Championship. And I'm like, not for it. I'm like, because I don't like to bake. So I'm like, I can't. Why? I can't oh. like get behind. Yeah, it's like let's go for the hard stuff immediately. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but if you ever need to make a biscuit, this is something we're gonna have to really tackle. Uh, last so night funny. he determined that Jimmy doesn't know how to like flip burgers properly, so he's take he's eight and he's like from now on I'm on the grill and I'm like thank God because Dad can't. Dad can't. That kid so. has had opinions about food his entire life. Like the descriptive, descriptive words he uses for food since he was like five. It's I know. absurd. He was just born <laughs> that way. I've got him drinking this like non-alcoholic spritzer now that's incredibly bitter and like hard for me to even drink. And he's like, oh, I love it. I mean, he's just so just magical. He's a worldly old soul. <laughs> I know. I he sounds great. He's the best. He's the best. In that vein, what are you doing to educate your son? Um, About cooking? Cooking, eating, uh, any, anything. Eating is the lost cause okay. for him right now. He has Put no interest. I mean, it's, I, it's so weird because uh, my wife and I, when he was a baby, I made all of his food. And we very, we very like purposefully put, um, strong flavor things in his food. Like, you know, instead of just doing beef, we would do lamb, we would do, you know, in making like his puree food because we wanted him to be comfortable with sort of gamier flavors and sort of bigger, bigger, bolder things by the time he was older. And he just, at a certain point, he's like, no, I don't want that. And he just, he's gotten better, but he won't eat french fries like he won't eat he won't eat things that he won't eat hot dogs hamburgers are like in the last two years that are brand new and if he has a hamburger no ketchup just like cheese mayo that's Ooh, it he's missing out so like it's so he's and he's missing out on a lot and it it, it hurts it hurts our hearts <laughs> a bit because you know we make we make lots of we cook at home so i will say cheese and mayonnaise add lettuce that's my favorite way to do a burger and i will die on that hill hey <laughs> i love no i love i love those things it's just that can't be it a bagel with melted butter is like he's so excited about <laughs> you know and that's Simplistic. it like a plain bagel with melted butter 
Um, so, you know, I, hopefully, I mean, he'll, he'll try things if we sort of beg and plead, make deals with him, but cooking on the other hand, um, I've tried to sort of, he gets excited about things that he sees people cooking in movies. So like, you know, Ratatouille, of course we did, we did a whole thing with that. Um, and he has fun. I mean, he likes that part. He, uh, he, we have a garden at our, at our house and, you know, he's come with me and like sort of pick stuff, try and teach him what things are. He's done a, he's done a couple of cooking videos with me. Cause he like, I think he just likes being in front of a camera. He's sort of a showboat. So, um, you know, not in a, in a good way in like a cute yeah, yeah. way. Uh, but he's, you know, I'm trying to teach him how to cook. We, a friend of ours got him a, a tr- children's knife set, but like with real, with like real blades, just, they don't have sharp, uh, sharp points and with like a finger guard. So you don't like cut your finger. So I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Does your, is your wife a chef? No, no, not at all. She's in retail fashion stuff. Cool. Nothing to do with cooking. She's a great cook, though. That's awesome. So you guys cook yeah. together. Yeah, we cook together a bit. I mean, I do a majority of it. When you cook at home, is it, like, much more simplified, or are you doing grandiose stuff um, in the kitchen for for family cooking oh i mean it depends some sometimes if i get a if i get a hair up my ass then i'll i'll do something like i'll do something fun and weird um i one thing i do like if we're getting good meat or if we're getting i'll 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 do a lot of sous vide cooking just because it's clean and easy um sometimes not all the time but like you know i have a i have restaurant equipment at home so i've got you know vacuum sealers and I've got, I've got really nice grills and stuff. So, you know, we'll do, but when we're upstate, I mean, I do, I do a lot of grilled fish, a lot of grilled meats, you know, nice salads. We've got good lettuces in the garden. So, you know, we really try and eat, you know, in the past few years, past few months, I've been really trying to clean up my act in terms of eating because, you know, COVID kind of made me get a lot fatter than I want to be. So <laughs> I know about that. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to change. I'm trying to change it, but um, I mean, I'm, I know I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of the people whole, in the oh, world, world. that happened yeah. to, but um, but the whole world, everybody. Um, but yeah, but no, we're 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 just trying to you know eat simply and clean and you know base it on good products. At a certain point, we'll probably get a chicken coop, get our own eggs. Fun. I, don't know. I had a chicken coop. Trying to. It was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, was fun friend, until I had to take one. care of them one she time, it. and it was not fun for me. They're pretty gross. <laughs> They're pretty gross. So yeah, but if you have land, it was not my bag. There, you know. Yeah, we have we have about two acres. I mean, we have, you know, it's it's nice. I want to when it's legal. I want to get a turkey, like like hunt a turkey. I'd like to do that. I didn't know a it little was bit illegal. of like gentle gentle hunting. No, no, no. Just in see like when the season's oh, right, whoa, whoa. Not, like, right now we're not in, we're not in turkey hunting season right now <laughs> shows you how much i know about hunting <laughs> so, i mean every state is different so it's you know um but yeah that's you know i i mean sometimes sometimes i go crazy like tonight i'm gonna make lasagna uh oh, but i want to make sort of a healthier lasagna with a little bit of bison a little bit of ground turkey tomatoes simple nothing crazy Could you? it's like um, Could you just like hand us some through the screen? Just like I want to try yeah, that lasagna. That <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's going to be simple. It's just you brown. I'm browning the meat. I'm adding tomato, tomato product, onions, garlic, cooking it down to like a meat sauce. Then 
layering the sheets of lasagna and baking it, you know, with cheese and baking in the oven. Nothing crazy. When's the last time you just like popped open a, a nice can of ragu? <laughs> like, oh, like jarred sauce? It just when's the last time you reached yesterday, in your own? Yesterday for my son. Oh, perfect. Yesterday for my perfect. son. Perfect. Yeah, I made him pasta. Made in Boston, I just used jar of sauce. I use jar of sauce. Jar of sauce. We is like good. what do we like, Kate? Rayos, Rayos. Rayos, Rayos, great. Rayos, great. Um, that that's it's funny because that's like their big business. They had they have a restaurant in Vegas and they have a restaurant in Harlem, and I think their sauce nets like eight hundred million dollars a year. It's so crazy. good. It's insane. It expanded into like it's frozen so good. foods and it's like so you can get good. individual yeah. portions. It's crazy. They're yeah. making a killing. Yeah. yeah, when it when I go to the grocery store and they don't carry it, I'm like, well, I've got to go to a different store. Or you know, this establishment is not up to my standards. <laughs> yeah, there's like twelve in the um, pantry right now. It's just oh, wartime, COVID time. It's, I don't it's know. Good to have on deck, yeah. of course. Sauce hoarding. Yeah, we had <laughs> so interesting when we we had we had the strangest things like preserved things when we when COVID started. Like I had a whole ham leg from Spain <laughs> I had which I ended up eating the whole thing <laughs> my wife had like three slices of it just because it was there and like every day I would just walk by it and take a slice quick off quick snack um but we had yeah we just had like I don't know, we ate and cooked the most I mean there was a point where I, I was cooking three meals a day for our family making fresh bread you know sort of like doing the whole thing because it was kind of there's never a moment in time where you were able to do that in the past you know, so we were just kind of hunkering down and we ate really great. There's so much looking back on COVID that I feel like was such a gift. I mean, me too. I made banana bread. I made so much banana bread that I froze it, right? So then we're like taking fresh yeah. loaves out of the freezer. I'm like, who am I? The pioneer woman? But like, we're, <laughs> we're in a pandemic, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, and we had such good family time. Like, I'm no Kate, but I did make a cheese plate every night. Talk about gaining some weight. We were like, bit, just every night, a nightly cheese plate. Like, pour your cocktail, have a cheese. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it was it was great in that way of just uninterrupted. Yeah, time. no, it was a, it was a. It's true. Yeah, one of my favorite COVID memories was it was Blaine's husband's birthday. Or maybe it was your birthday, Blaine. And you guys came up to Charlotte to visit me, made a cheese board, of course. And then her husband decided, I think we were like, I don't know, we were pretty deep in it at that point. It was still like you weren't going out, but it was like you were exhausted of being in the house. And he was like, all I want is a fireball shot and some nachos. (laughs) And we went out and got a fireball shot and some nachos. And the next day he was like, oh my God, we all have COVID. This is the worst idea ever. Like, did not think that it was worth it the next day. But it was fun yeah. at the I time. Mean, there, there was, yeah. <laughs> that was the night I cut my leg there... after the fireball shot, and we didn't know how. We're like, <laughs> fireball will do that to you. <laughs> my leg is bleeding profusely. Mm-hmm. How did this happen? Oh. Fireball. <laughs> I feel like we all had those moments where there was a moment where we just like broke out and we're like, I don't care what happens right now. We needed to like have human interaction. And right. I think. I think for me, I went to a food and wine festival in South Beach, which 
you know, after a few months of sort of restriction and lockdown at a certain point, Miami was like, all of Florida was like, nope, COVID's over. And it was just, it was so like shocking coming from New York where there was so much sort of shutdown and lockdown and like rules. And then you go to this place and you're just like, I feel like I'm doing something against the law. Yeah. Florida Um, was like a foreign country. But it was... Yeah, I mean, I went to, I went to, because just because it was one of the only places to sort of work and do events. I went to, I think I went to Southern Florida in 2021, like three, four times. And I never got COVID, so I don't know. I think that was maybe the one place that we went during COVID, like on a, on a trip. And we got there and I looked around and I was like, what is happening here? Yeah, it's so crazy. Um. Before I let you go, I would kick myself for not asking you to really, this is a bucket list item for me. Could you just like walk me down what a typical day at the Aspen Food and Wine Festival is like? Sure. Thank you. Uh, I've been there a bunch of times, so that's, you should go. I want to go Why wouldn't you badly. go? Go next year. Uh, well, I just, buy your I just have just never. I've just, there's always been like, well, that seems extravagant. And then it's like, you're going to die and not do it? Like, I want to go so bad. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can only tell you from my perspective. And I've been where I've been invited and I've been where I've kind of like muscled my way in. Um, which was the thing that me and my friends used to do at food and wine festivals. If I wasn't invited, we would just sort of like show up and figure it out. How would that um, You just like so show up with what food I or like you just show up to eat, you mean? No, I just show up at different events without tickets, without passes, and like try it. and figure out ways to sneak in or just Going sort rogue. of, it's like, you know, well, I'd, I'd see like Ted Allen, I'd be like, hey, what are you doing here? He'd be like, oh, I'm going to this thing, come with me. You know, it's like, <laughs> you kind of like, you make enough friends after all these that you just sort of like, figure out the ways to, to get in. But so I would get, I would get there, um, you know, it's like the first time after, after Top Chef, after, after that. I I show up and I'm put up in this like pretty fancy hotel where like all this stuff's happening. And in my hotel room, there's like passes, there's bottles of wine, there's snacks, there's all this stuff. And there's this like welcome celebration for all the, the people. And it's usually cooked by, it's cooked by the chefs from, the year prior or something. Sometimes it's top chef people, but there's always like this welcome celebration where there's tons of people or tons of like, not tons of top chef people because I was only the second person to do it, but there were lots of chefs that I knew. And, and, and it's weird because right after winning that, it was such a big show that like the two food festivals that I went to, I was like, people recognized me, which was, I was 24 and I was, you know, it was like all brand new. So, um, so yeah, I would just go to these different events and then there's parties at night where you go to this bar and all these chefs have signed this thing and, at, and it's called Bel- Belly, Den- I forgot the name. But like, so so then there's all these different events and you've got like an itinerary to go to all these different things. And the, the two events that I did, I did a dinner with the chef at the Little Nell where we did this sort of like like coordinated um, uh He's he's a chef in, in New York now. He's got a place called Charlie Bird. He's a great great chef, and um, and we uh, so we did this this dinner together. But we planned it weeks before. We were doing like pheasant breast. We were doing like pretty cool stuff. 
And um, so we did this dinner together. And then I had this challenge, which I think every winner of Top Chef does now, where you're paired in a team and you go against Jack Pepin. And so it was me and Gail Simmons against Jack Pepin and Jack Pepin's partner. And Jack Pepin always wins, even though Nordish was better. <laughs> I'm not like saying that. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm, not, I'm saying that like we should have, we did, we had to cook these like ribeyes and stuff. And, it was, and it's great because it's in front of a, uh, a whole audience and Jack Pepin's hilarious. And like, you're sort of doing this, this whole thing for the crowd. And, and then that's it. And then I sort of went home, but it, like throughout the night, there's lots of different events that you sort of, you know, there's the grand tasting, which is where all these people have this giant, these giant booths, but those are never my favorites. It's always like the specialized sponsored events. So like Barilla Pasta will throw, will have a, a party in a, in a beautiful mansion where they'll get a famous chef, you know, the Rocco de Spirito will be making pasta for everybody or, you know, something, something like that where they just sort of have, and then there's always these late night parties that are really just for chefs and not press chefs and like people that work for food and wine and, and people in food media. But, you know, and then you just, there's always a sponsor for that. And they're, you know, giving you seafood and they're giving, you know, it's, it's just, there's food everywhere. There's booze everywhere. And then I also did a, like a charity poker game with Sam Talbot and like Govind Armstrong and Tom Colicchio, which there's a couple of pictures sort of, somewhere floating around and me and Tom Colicchio, I think are both wearing cowboy hats for some reason. It's very weird. Um, very Aspen. But so Aspen is crazy. Aspen, Aspen is, is great. It's weird. Um, I think my experience is different than a person that just gets tickets and goes, but it's lovely. I mean, you really see all those chefs everywhere. Um, oh, and there's also one party, usually the second night that's at the top of the mountain. So you have to take the ski lift up there. And um, that's always fun because there's always somebody fun cooking there. And, you know, the, all the publishers of Food Mind Magazine and, that's a lot of fun. I mean, a pasta party in a to mansion do it a bunch of times. sounds like the best situation ever. Yeah. Like, there was one time, I think maybe it was the last time I went there on the first night, Jose Andreas was cooking at some party and he was making paellas. And also, like, me and a bunch of Top Chef people were just sort of sitting in front of him and he made us all like this big sandwich with a baguette and just like cut it into chunks. So it's like stuff like that happens a lot where you're amazing. sort of you're just around all these people that you love and they're feeding you, you're feeding them. It's, it's a lot of fun. Kate, we got to go. Justin's got to get his cowboy hat out of Hawk anyway. So yeah. Last time we were in Aspen, my husband bought a cowboy hat. So that's me too. I bought a cowboy hat when I went there. (laughs) Did you go to Kimosabe? Giving it to my friend. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. That's where you get it. Yep. Um, and I paid, I paid a stupid amount of money for a hat that I wore. Once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He has worn it once. But they 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 branded my initials in it. In oh fact. yeah. My friend Erica owns that ad now. I got um, my initials in it and then went out and had a few too many drinks and then went back and had them put my dog's name in the hat. So I've got everything just oh, wow. burned into the hat. <laughs> nice. I like it. Is your hat is a dangerous um, place to go? Is your hat in Atlanta or have you also got it in storage in Aspen? I have mine here. So the background story here is my husband is a ridiculous human being. I love him. He's the best, but he like thinks he is the bougiest person in the world. And we are just normal average people. And uh, we went to Kimosabe, bought this hat, but he didn't want to take it on the plane with him. So we made friends with the, the woman that sold us the hat. And he said, do you have like a hat locker here? Like, can I, can I store my hat here? And she was like, no, like that's not how it works. <laughs> and he was like, but like I could pay for like a, a hat 
pot storage thing. And she's like, no, like, we just don't have pot storage. And he was like, okay, but I don't want to bring it on the plane. And I'm coming back in July. Like, Wait. how can I figure this out? So she just took the hat home with her. And so we're going to go back in July for a friend's wedding and get the hat back from her. Luckily, she still works there. We have confirmed that we can get the hat. But, like, it's quite the gamble to take on, like, a $700 hat. <laughs> Justin's That's so silly. So ridiculous. He thinks he's like the Wolf of Wall Street. And no, he, he does. Hat storage. He does. But like, but you... He should start a hat storage business. <laughs> just leave and, and everything. He's like, I think I just like created a new business for them. I was like, I mean, I don't, I don't think you did. I don't think they're going to lean in on this, but maybe. <laughs> I could see Justin like really putting the hard sell on me, and I'm like, well, I'll take it home. Yeah, sure. Yep. <laughs> it is at her house. Which is just so weird. <laughs> oh, God, that's fantastic. Well, Elon, this has been the best. Better than I could have Thank hoped. Thank you for having for. me. What a wonderful that's hour. That's wonderful. It's already an hour? I know. It's already Oh, good. The time was flying for you, too? Good news. Yeah. No, it flew. This is just it flew. I had no idea. amazing. All right, so on the docket, we've got to get Knife Fight back. Mm-hmm. I think we could do it on YouTube. Yes. I mean, there's there's a market for this. Um, there's a lot of money on yes. YouTube too. We gotta we gotta get that back. Yeah. We gotta go to Aspen Food and Wine. I gotta go on a year year going so I can coattail it in with you. Yes. yes. Um, yep. You did give us that tip. You're right. Right. Yep. Uh, we're with you. We're sous chefs. Go with the chef. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Those are the two, and we gotta get your um, son on the ketchup. So those are our three takeaways from this podcast. <laughs> and next time you go to Aspen, don't give your hat away. Ask Bria at Kimosabe to store it for you. Yeah, Ask this is ins- insider. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll... <laughs> <laughs> insider hat trade. Yeah. Way to bring it back. Way to bring it back to the day Full trading circle. world. Yeah. Yes. Penny Lane. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And thank you. It was great to I meet you. I appreciate it. Definitely. It was great meeting you, too. We'll see you in Can't Aspen. wait until we do this in Aspen. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we'll see you in Glad Aspen. Glad we're on the same page. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the Penny Lane podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane podcast. The Penny Lane podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.